Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast, which is, of course, a fantasy football podcast. It's another Scott Pienowski episode. That would be me. And we got one of my good friends in the industry. Uh, you know Sammy Reed from his work with Roto Grinders, with Fantasy Insiders, just being a man about town. And he's one of my favorite guys to follow, favorite guy to exchange ideas with because he's smart, he's shrewd, he's got a very sharp BS detector. And he gives you different slants that you don't hear everywhere else. I, there's a lot of echo chamber in our industry. Sometimes it just means that the right thing is the obvious thing. But if you hang around Sammy, you will get challenged, you will get new ideas. And I guarantee you'll be a better, whatever it is you want to be good at. You want to be a better poker player, better fantasy player, better understander of the world. You come to Sammy Reed. So Sammy Reed, hello, hot. Well, I have to say that is probably the best intro that I've ever been given. So I appreciate it. And, you know, I've been trying to put off podcasting with you again for as long as I could, because the first time was just so excellent. Right. And so recreating that magic, you're like, oh, man, you know, the the expectations are so high. But uh, I'm actually really, really happy to be back on the pod with you and and rap with you a little bit about uh, what's going on in football today. Before we get into some of the fun stuff, we're going to talk some over-unders today. We're going to talk about where the money is in uh, in 2021 football. And there's more things we can bet on now, but it's also a little bit harder. I think the room is sharper and our edges are slighter. We'll try to figure that out. But before we get to that, just wanted to give a hat tip and maybe just a, a moment of appreciation. Alex Smith announced his retirement recently. I, this is, by the way, we're taping this on Tuesday, April 20th. I just wanted you to know that. And uh, anyway, Alex Smith has retired. Um, unbelievable comeback. Just, people think maybe the Comeback Player of the Year award should be named the Alex Smith Award for the guy had, I don't know how many surgeries, what, 20 or something like that. The fact that he's still alive is amazing. Not to mention that he actually played professional football, but he did. He had, had some moments last year with the WFT and then a couple of days later, Jordan Reed, who had some really nice uh, earlier in Washington, he had some really nice moments with Kirk Cousins and, and uh, Jordan Reed had, had a connection. And uh, he's announced his retirement, too. He's, he's a lot younger than Smith, of course. Injuries have had their way with Reed over the last few years. So, Sam, let's throw the floor to you. Uh, you know, I mentioned Alex Smith. I mentioned Jordan Reed. You have some good memories with these guys? Uh, big, especially because I grew up uh, in the Bay Area. I live in the Bay Area and Alex Smith being the guy that the 49ers famously drafted uh, number one and, and sent Aaron Rodgers into the free fall. And I felt like so much of his career was really defined by that for most of it, right? We said, oh gosh, Aaron Rodgers is, is no doubt Hall of Famer and Alex Smith was just this okay quarterback. They blew it, you know, blah, 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 blah. That was the story of Alex Smith. And I think it's really easy for us when we 
you know, look at like the old drafts and, and especially us in the fantasy community, I think there's a tendency to kind of dehumanize these folks a little bit because, you know, we own them on our teams and we look at their stats and, and this and that. And I, and I felt like one of the special things that Alex Smith did late in his career, especially the last couple of years after his egregious, you know, Joe Theismann-esque injury is really humanized himself to us. You know, we players get hurt all the time. And sometimes we look at it in a fantasy sense. We're like, oh, you know, my first round pick blew out his ACL, you know, woe is me. Right. And we're not thinking about this man who, you know, is going through these extensive surgeries and his life is turned upside down. His career is in jeopardy. I mean, the, the shelf life of NFL players is just so short. We don't think about these things by and large. And I thought that Alex Smith's journey was very humanizing. And I think it touched a lot of people. I think it really meant something to a lot of people. And to see him come back last season and help lead that team to the playoffs, a team that's been a perennial loser for quite a long time and, and one of the most dysfunctional uh, organizations for him to help lead them to the playoffs and then kind of mic drop and say, okay, I'm out of here. This is my career. Uh, just really incredible stuff. Hats off to Alex Smith. And you know, I, I think a lot of the same things can probably be said for Jordan Reed, maybe to a lesser extent, but you know, just, just a complete warrior who put himself at risk ton of concussions all of us you know people got mad oh i drafted jordan reed this year oh he got hurt again oh jordan and it's like man this guy the things he must have gone through personally to to overcome this and actually have a legitimate nfl career is pretty amazing so hats off to those guys i want to make this clear if i took one nfl hit i don't think i'd walk again you know <laughs> let alone be a professional athlete of any repute I know quarterback wins is a loaded thing. And if you want to get in a good argument on Twitter, just start talking quarterback wins, end it with a Z, and then you'll, you know, you have something to argue about for a couple hours. Alex Smith had a winning record in his last nine NFL seasons. Is that true? I mean, you're doing something right. When your team is wow. winning nine years in a row, and that covers the 49ers, that covers the Chiefs, that covers the, the WFT. Man, I, I remember, I still remember that great playoff game he had, that duel he had with Drew Brees, recently retired, in uh, with the Niners. Right, that playoff game. Oh, I thought, you were, I thought you were going to say the one with the Colts. That was a great one too. Right, the Andrew that, that Luck was Alex game. Smith, right? Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, you know, Alex Smith went to three Pro Bowls. Um, he was, for fantasy purposes, was quarterback four the the year that he was the starter and Mahomes was the caddy, and you know, everybody knew that obviously Mahomes was going to take over, and he had. If you paid attention to what Mahomes did the final week of that, se- of that season, I mean, it's like, when he had almost no help. Everybody else wasn't playing that day. And, and he went to Denver and played a really good defense and played out of his mind. I think he, he showed, here I am, world, and, you know, entertain me. I'm going to be somebody you want next year. But Alex Smith, quarterback four, that final year in Kansas City. Yeah, yeah I know it's an Andy Reid offense and Tyree Hill's great. Travis Kelsey's great. They don't hand out quarterback four seasons at the airport. You got to do something right to get to that level. Three Pro Bowls, you know. When, when somebody is taken number one overall in the draft, there's this idea that like, oh, if you don't win championships, if you don't go to all these Super Bowls, it's somehow you're a bust of a pick. We're, we have a draft coming up in a couple of weeks. There's going to be a lot of quarterbacks taken. I think if any of the teams right now could sign off on the Alex Smith career, yeah, yeah, you would love it if they turn into Peyton Manning or something. But uh, Alex Smith was a, a really good football player for a couple of decades. I, I think that's a hit with your number one pick. Yeah, I hate to bring it back, but it reminds me maybe a little bit of Jay Bruce, who just retired also, where Jay Bruce had this incredible pedigree, and you're like, oh, he's kind of disappointment. He was never the best player in the league, whatever. I mean, the guy played, I don't know, like, what, 12, 14 years, somewhere in there? To to be in the major leagues for 14 seasons or whatever it was is that you would take that every day of the week, and being an above-average player, a lot of them. I think I think it's even more so 
in the NFL where the number one pick has all this pressure on them. But yeah, I mean, to, to play in the NFL or, you know, in, in major league baseball and have like a legitimate long career where you're better than the average player at your position. That's, that's a big win. Uh, just to, to put a fantasy bow on Jordan Reed, he was the tight end three in 2015, despite only playing 14 games. And then the next year in 12 games, he was the tight end nine. This, this guy just was a monster in the red zone. Don't we love these tight ends who kind of move like wide receivers? I mean, he wasn't the biggest guy, 6'2", 242, kind of like a hybrid wide receiver. And once they unlocked him in Washington, I just felt like he was unstoppable. Yeah, and, and those guys, you know, the the Tony G's and then, you know, after him, the Antonio Gateses and, and those guys. And Jordan Reed, I think, was kind of a, a archetype of those dudes. I mean, that has become the modern NFL tight end. It really has. And, you know, we'll, we'll talk about NFL trends and, and the way things are moving now. But those guys were kind of unicorns before their time. And it's kind of cool to see the game shifting that way now. Perfect phrase. Unicorn is the right word there. And it's funny, one University of Florida tight end leaves the league and Jordan Reed, Kyle Pitts, is going to be probably the first tight end taken in the first round and begs the question of, you know, is the archetype changing with rookies? We're going to get to that in a little bit. Let's try to make you some money first. And we'll we'll stick with we've been talking a lot of Washington in the first few minutes of this pod. So let's maybe look at the dub at the uh, the WFT and the NFC East. The over-unders have been posted in most sports books. Of course, we we have a partnership with BetMGM. We we'd love it if you hang out. Over there, give them a few boxes, all sorts of great promos if you're a first-time depositor. So check out what's going on at BetMGM. The NFC East, and I'm going to give Sam, I'm going to give you free reign to go eventually anywhere you want, but let's just focus on the NFC East for a second. And remember, it's a 17-game season. Uh, the WFT it has an eight-win over-under. Uh, you have to pay some juice on the over, minus 130. Dallas is at nine, minus 140 on the over. The Giants are at seven, and Philadelphia six and a half, minus 130. I fell in love with WFT last year. I, for one thing, I love the name. I love that they got rid of their stupid nickname and they just, you know, rearranged WTF into WFT. I would just keep that. I know they're talking about actually having a real nickname. I don't think they need it. I think they found it. Love the defense. We know defense doesn't always translate year over year. Your football outsiders just taught us that. But, man, don't we love Gibson? Don't we love McLaurin? Samuel, I think, is in a really good spot. He is tied to the previous OC. And... Ryan Fitzpatrick, man, you know, DGAF, he's going to throw the ball downfield. He'll throw a few to the other guys. But I think this is a winning team again. I, I, I think right now they might be the best, most complete team in this division. I, I know Dallas is always going to be a public team. And if Dak comes back, man, that offense was going to put up pinball numbers last year. But I think WFT is underserved at eight. What say you? Uh, I am paying the juice. I'm absolutely paying the juice. Uh, a guy that kind of under the radar that they signed was William Jackson. And uh, Jackson's a guy I've always been a big fan of. I believe he was in the same draft as Artie Burns. I'm a Steelers guy. And I think he was in the same draft as Artie Burns. And God, I'm going to get roasted if I'm misremembering this. But I think he he was the guy I really wanted uh, the Steelers to take. And then I think that the that the Bengals traded up and got right ahead of us and, and took Jackson. And then we took Artie Burns, who's like a complete bust. And uh, Jackson has gone on to have like a really, a really nice career. I think he's a great signing. And I agree that that talent with Curtis Samuel, they actually have a lot of draft equity this season as well uh, in the upcoming draft. And I'm no draft net. I don't know what they're going to do, but I know that a lot of draft equity is good. And, you know, we, we stand for Fitz magic. We really stand for him. So I think they have a lot of that young talent. I mean, speed kills, right? Speed kills. And when you have a quarterback who, Degaffs and you have guys like McLaurin and Samuel 
I mean, that's, that's like a lot of speed out there and, and, and Gibson. So it's just a lot of speed with a good defense. Um, that defensive line, I mean, they were tearing people up last year and that defensive line, I mean, it kind of reminds me of like the old giants teams that beat the Patriots. Like they can like rush for and really create havoc and let everybody else do everything else. So I am a, that's, that's one of my best bets of the year actually is what is WTF. You hit so many key points. When you can play defense and get to the quarterback with a base rush, whether you're doing exotic things, but you're only devoting four people to the task and then you can drop the other people in coverage. Every, everybody will struggle against that. You, you always hear like, oh, well, you know, if you can protect this quarterback and give him time to throw, he can hurt you. Yeah, every, everybody in the league can hurt you. But no quarterback likes getting hit and no quarterback likes being hit by a four-man rush because that means it's really hard to find people open downfield. This looks like a disruptive team to me. Antonio Gibson had hardly played running back at Memphis. And for a guy who was still learning on the job, he looked electric all season. I'm generally a take-what-the-room-gives-me drafter, but I'm going to elbow people out of the way for Terry McLaurin. I'm going to claim him. I'm going to say, he's mine. I'll pay the extra bucks, or I'll you know I'll jump ADP if I have to. i, I got to have this guy in my portfolio next year. So I'm really excited about that. You mentioned the Steelers. Uh, let, let's give you one more full division before I just give you run of the board. Uh, Baltimore's over-under is 11. Uh, minus 120 is the juice there. Cincinnati, 6.5. Cleveland, 10.5. And your Steelers are a little disrespected at eight and a half. You get to pay 115 on the over. They just re-signed Mike Tomlin or extended him for three more years. And we know the Steelers are famous for just you know, only having a handful of coaches in their history. You know, it was on Chuck Knoll and then Bill Cowher. And, and obviously Tomlin's been there for a while. Roethlisberger getting a little long in the tooth. They brought Juju back. I think this is a hard team to figure. I, I don't really know which way the Steelers are headed. Uh, what say you, Pittsburgh Steeler fan? Well, I mean, we could do an entire podcast on the Steelers, man. I have a I have a lot of takes, but in general, I wouldn't say I'm overly optimistic for the future. Uh, in the sense that, you know, Pittsburgh for a long time was defined, and I don't mean like in the 70s. I mean, you know, in the 2010s with this really strong offensive line, right? Pouncey and DeCastro, uh, they had a number of really strong tackles come through, and the offensive line now is in shambles. Uh, it's really, really a tough scene uh, there, and. Roethlisberger can't move anymore. Everybody sees him. I mean, he's just like, he's dust. I'm going to be honest. He's dust. And the challenge with Pittsburgh is they're such a cohesive unit uh, in terms of the management that they're never bad, never bad. And probably part of the problem with never being really bad is you never get high draft picks, right? The last time I, I want to say we got Roethlisberger, I don't remember what pick. I want to say it was like number 11 or 12, somewhere in there, if I'm remembering right. It was a long time ago. But we rarely, rarely draft down there anymore. And so it's really hard. And so you've seen Pittsburgh try to accomplish things by taking like Mason Rudolph and Dobbs and these guys in like the third rounds and, you know, figure out a a succession plan. And that's just not it. It's not going to get there. And at some point, you either have to tear it down and build it back up. It feels like Pittsburgh just continues to, you know, push the, you know, push the envelope down the line. Oh, we'll deal with it next year. We'll deal with it next year. At some point you got to pay the tax. And I think the reality is the NFL is moving to a league where your quarterback needs to have athleticism. Your, your quarterback needs to be able to make plays outside of structure. Roethlisberger used to do that. He used to be great at making plays out of structure. He's not that same guy anymore, right? He just throws the ball immediately, gets it out of his hands quick. You can make things work like that, but you're never going to be an elite team. And so we have like good receivers, but at the end of the day, the running back position is a mess. The, the offensive line is a mess. Um, the defense losing Bud Dupree, uh, who was just having a career year last year before he terribly tore his ACL. Um, that sucked. 
and Joe Hayden's getting a little older. I mean, it's honestly, it's a tough scene in Pittsburgh. With this year's over-under, I'd still probably take the over because Pittsburgh, like I said, that cohesion and, you know, Tomlin is a really good coach overall. He has his issues, uh, certainly does, especially game theory issues, but I, I think it's still an over in a 17-game season. So maybe maybe one last piece of juice there. Yeah, I, I would lean over as well. And I, I like what you said about Tomlin. You you can definitely poke some holes in his game strategy, but as far as just being a steady hand, handling different personnel. I mean, look, remember, they had Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown on the Steelers, and there was a little bit of drama here and there, and obviously there was a one year where Bell held out and everything. But Antonio Brown really didn't go off the reservation until he left the Steelers. I mean, he was you know tiptoeing on the outskirts of the reservation. He never really left. Right. And then he, you know, that year with the Raiders and the Patriots and everything kind of went crazy in his world. And, you know, nice comeback last year as a bit player for the Buccaneers. What a funny story that was. But Super Bowl I, champion I, Antonio Brown, it finally happened. Right. Yeah. He's got, he's got the ring. Congrats, buddy. He, he, I mean, honestly, like it's tough to like be an Antonio Brown fan these days with all the weirdness around him. But I mean, it is, we kind of, I think, overlook his peak where he was basically. I mean, you can argue him versus Randy Moss, but I I think that stretch was kind of the greatest thing we've seen since Jerry Rice. I mean, he was that freaking good. It bothers me when people don't accept him as a slam dunk Hall of Famer. You can make a strong case that he's one of the five best receivers of all time. That is correct. Uh, I man, I love your takes. I mean, it's just so true. It's just it's just true. I don't know what else to say. You mentioned Roethlisberger just to clean up his draft. uh, He was drafted in 2004 as the 11th pick. Uh, the famous year where Eli Manning did not want to play for the Chargers. And so yep. Manning Phil, went first to San Diego. Philip Rivers at what, four? Phil Rivers at four. Um, and there was one other quarterback. Uh, we'll play a little Jeopardy here, Sammy. Um, who was the other quarterback drafted in the first round that year? There was Eli, there was Rivers, there was Roethlisberger, and another AFC team tabbed a quarterback. I'll even tell you who went to Tulane. Oh, my gosh. Uh was it like J.P. Lawson? Was it like J.P. Lawson? Absolutely, man. There you go. Hey, you are in I the bonus round. You get to finish out. the rest of the show because you got that. That's nice pull. On, I can't excited. believe I got that right. I think it was the Tulane thing, and I'm yeah. not even a big college guy, but that, that sparked something for me. Right. J.P. Lawson, man. Well, thankfully, Buffalo, after years of, of floundering at the quarterback position, they seem like they got it. They got it figured out now with Mitch Trubisky. I think they finally solidified their. Oh, oh, uh, Josh Allen's still there. Well, well, that's 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 a very Freudian slip, Scott. But I think a lot of people thought that Josh Allen was Mitch Trubisky, and I'm not going to absolve myself of this hate either. I think in the NFL draft, we've seen so many teams take these project quarterbacks with big skills so high, and it's like, dude, this just never works out. Um, and Mitch Trubisky was the poster boy for that. I kind of thought that would be Josh Allen, and uh, boy, was I wrong. One of my hot takes last year was, oh, uh, Stephon Diggs, route running genius. How is he going to fit with Josh Allen, who can't hit the broadside of a barn half the time? Uh, pretty darn well, actually. And I sitting out Stephon Diggs weekly was no fun, man. It, when you get something wrong like that and everybody else is just, you know, throwing their money around, is just, you know, taking a nap in their $100 bills and you have no part of it. Does that colossally suck? Uh, before we put a bow in this division, I give you run of the rest of the board. Did anything with Baltimore, Cincinnati, or Cleveland uh, sing to you? Do, you? do you see any angles here in this division? Uh, I actually like Cleveland. I like Cleveland's over, and I kind of like Baltimore's under. I, I think Baltimore Baltimore's a little bit like Pittsburgh in the sense that they're so well-coached. So well-coached, they're never going to be bad. And Lamar Jackson is fantastic. He's just a wonderful player to watch. You can tell his teammates love him. I think they have a lot of structural problems on that team. 
that they have kind of, it's kind of like Pittsburgh where you were kind of known for your pass rush and nasty defense and, you know, tough receivers. And in a lot of ways, that's not the case anymore. So I liked Baltimore's under last year. Also, uh, I think I'm going to run it back and Cleveland, man, like Baker's Baker's good. Baker's actually good. And he's, he's accomplished a lot of things. People kind of thought he was a bust and, you know, certainly like, again, when you get taken with the number one pick in the draft, you know, there's a lot of expectations. I, I don't, think he's like an elite quarterback i don't think he's going to be that guy but i think he's quite good and the infrastructure on that team uh is really really strong i think it's a well-run team they finally got the coach right right i mean they yeah they had kitchens was it was a disaster and hugh jackson is, is, is going to go down as one of the worst coaches. but you take your pick when, when you do the the worst coaches in nfl history cleveland will be giving us a lot of the candidates a lot of guys who have coached there won't coach Again, as a head coach, you know, maybe, maybe these guys should be position coaches. I always think it's a great move when NFL teams take a failed head coach and put him back into his positional coach days or coordinator yeah. days. A lot of times those guys are great. High. North Turner was a great offensive coordinator, probably wasn't meant out to be a head coach, but they finally got it right with Stefanski. And I'm not the biggest Odell Beckham guy, but just imagine if you take this team last year that had some nice pieces and they get anything from Beckham with an improving quarterback and they have other offensive pieces we like two really good running backs a good offensive line all sorts of interesting pieces on defense multiple good tight ends strong offensive line i mean the the fact that you can play two tight ends with that team which is what they aspire to do but you can also pass out of it i mean that's that's really strong but you need a coach like you said who can actually make that happen and scheme it up right they found the guy the only thing that the only downer for me is that if they were like a 10, I'd be running to the window right now. At 10 and a half, you got to get to the 11 to get the money. Yeah. And 10, you're actually a loser as opposed to pushing. And, and I'll admit, this sounds kind of silly, but the fact that they're playing 17 games, I'm still trying to work my hands around it. Imagine if we went to play Blackjack Sammy and we said, oh, uh, 22 is the number. You're trying to make 22, not 21. It would mess with you. You wouldn't know what to do. I change, do changes I hit everything. 14? It, it really does. By the way, let me let me get a Pianowski take about okay. how uh, you think the fantasy team should address the the new schedule. Like, do you just move everything? Have one more regular season game? Move everything back? Do you think there's more of a case for like dual, you know, two week championship weeks or two weeks playoffs? Like, have you have you kind of worked that out at all? I haven't thought too much about it. It's a great question. Um, for one thing. Whatever week 18 aspires to, I would not use it for anything um, other than, you know, play some DFS, make some bets, whatever. Um, and it's actually, you know, Adam Leviton, a friend of the program, would always say that he, he loves week 17, which would now be week 18, because he loves reading between the lines of who's going to play, who's not going to play. Guys, figuring guys out usage. he's so good at that. He's, he's so sharp. I think he's as good at that as anybody is at understanding. He can he can listen to all the gobbledygook and coach speak and figure out, okay, they're telling the truth this 10% of the time and they're full of it the other 90%. He is so sharp with that. You know, him and Silva on the same team is just unfair. But so I, I don't want to play my fantasy championship in week 18. I, I like I'm interested in the two-week championship. I don't know if that's something we offer on Yahoo yet, but maybe we will someday. I'm still kind of thinking that out. I don't have a great answer for it, but uh, hopefully I'll have something better when, when people – and by the way, would, I, I don't know if I can say the date. Yahoo Fantasy Football is opening really, really soon. I'm just going to leave it at that really, Solid. really soon, like in the month of April. So Solid. you're, you're going to want to be – I played yeah, fan, uh, fantasy on Yahoo since late 90s. I mean mm-hmm. that's like where I've lived, so I'm happy to hear that news. Yeah, I'm, I'm proud of the game. I have nothing to do with it. I occasionally whisper an idea to the product department, which I'm sure they they throw into the trash. But um, we have great designers. Our app wins all sorts of awards. I played on Yahoo before they ever hired me. And, you know, if, if I'm gone someday, I'll still play on Yahoo. So much love to the product team. 
All right, let's, let's just send you loose on the rest of the NFL. You said you had some over-unders that you liked on this year's board. Just uh, take us where you want to go, Sammy Reed. Yeah, just just a couple others. Um, I like the under on Houston. I, I really like the under on Houston. I mean, I might like it's four and a half. And number, I might for 17 games. That's a low number. Yeah. Let me tell you, if it was a 20 game season, I might still take the under. I mean, this team is the most dysfunctional organization. They make, they make WFT. I mean, just look like the Pittsburgh Steelers, right? It, it's just so dysfunctional. Obviously the, the Deshaun Watson allegations are, are pretty terrible, but I think it's highly likely that we don't see a lot of Watson, if any, you know, whether he's suspended or he's, released or traded or what have you i think it's probably an underdog that he plays uh for the texans next year they lost jj watt they lost fuller uh they are a complete disaster i think this team could legitimately like be the first team that wins zero games in a 17 game season i think it's hard to when you present the idea that they're giving up you know with the hopkins trade and and then you have you you have the face of your franchise under what he's under right now there's just such a circle of negativity and that that matters that that holds the team down it's it's hard to be motivated i know everybody's playing for their own contract and everybody basically is on a one-year deal you know anybody can can be cut in the nfl pretty much so they all have motivation i'm not saying these guys don't care but it's just hard to go in everybody at some point in their life has had a bad relationship or a bad job or a bad roommate in college and when you're stuck in that it's the worst thing every day you're like oh god i hate this situation i wish i weren't in it I think that's going to be the Houston Texans football team for, for the next 12 months. Everybody there is going to be like, okay, where's my wandering eye? Do the Colts have cap room? Can I go over there? You know, I mean, what, who, who do I want to play for next year? I think there's going to be a lot of side-eyeing in Houston and people trying to get the next train out. And uh, the over that I probably like the most um, is the Los Angeles Chargers. I'm a big Chargers I've been losing fan. money on them every year because I, <laughs> I always believe in this story. I am, this is my Charlie Brown football team. It really is. Every year something terrible happens and you're like, oh, not again. Charger's going to charge her. But I, re- I mean, it's a new day. I mean, Justin Herbert is the complete man. I'm hoping that we see a healthy season from Austin Eckler because that Herbert Eckler, Keenan Allen trifecta, uh, Adam Levitan favorite, Donald Parham, uh, looks like he'll get a bunch of PT sure. depending on what happens in free agency, free agency slash the draft. But I love Derwin James. I have like such man love for Derwin James. I I honestly think that he is probably the most versatile and impactful safety we've seen since Troy Polamalu. And we haven't seen a lot of him the last couple of years. You know, really, really bad injuries. I think he hurt his meniscus in like a preseason or game one last year or something like that. And if he's healthy and it's a big if, they have a complete difference maker that I, I think that kind of versatile player can transform a defense. They obviously have Bosa, and I think they have the pieces on defense and the fun stuff on offense, uh, especially with the ascension of Herbert, to really make a run. Uh, for uh, over 8.5, I like. Uh, what I really like is just taking, like, I've already made a couple of uh, plus 3,000 bets on them uh, to win the Super Bowl. I mean, why not? So if everything goes right, I know Chargers are going to charge her, but I'm willing to lose a little more money on them this year. Yeah, I think they may have already been bumped up to minus nine at Ben MGM, and you still have to pay some juice. But here's the thing. I think Vegas is going to be bad. And I think Denver, until Denver can prove to me they've solved quarterback and this talk that maybe they're going to draft one, I know they have all the skill talent that we love. The defense has fallen off a little bit. Until the Broncos have proven to me they have a quarterback that is even adequate, which Drew Locke is not, I don't worry about the Broncos. So 
if you wanted to get involved with the exotics of the Chargers winning the division, winning the conference, we don't wish any ill on Kansas City. Nobody wants to see Patrick Mahomes get hurt. But I mean, if Patrick Mahomes were to get hurt, you know, the Chiefs are a totally different team. And they remember how bad their offensive line looked in the Super Bowl. And then they've since lost some of that quote unquote talent. Uh, you know, they could. It, it's not hard for a great team to downshift to a good team and a good team to become a mediocre team. It, it only takes one or two things to go wrong. You know, look at, look at the Patriots last year. I mean, their over-under was still nine and a half or nine before the season. And I and I liked the under, and I probably would have two-handed shoved on the under, except you know, the, the back of my mind, like, it's still Bill Belichick. I know right. the defense right. has opted out en masse and everything, but I'm just oh, a little God. bit afraid they'll find Stop. a way to make a chicken sandwich out of this, you know, this chicken slop he's been handed so I didn't. I didn't one hand, two hand shove. I kind of one hand shove. I, I bet about as much as I could ever bet against the Patriots Belichick team, and I, I bet some Buffalo stuff. At the end of the year, I'm like, that was the easiest thing in the world. What was I afraid of? You know, I was afraid of somebody one outering me with, with a straight flush or something. It's like you know, just get your money and good. That was betting. That was fading the Patriots last year. So I'm going to be with you. I'm on the Chargers, uh, even if it goes up to nine. And as you said, you know, maybe it's a conference, maybe it's a Super Bowl, maybe it's a division. I, I think there's a lot of interesting Charger angle to explore in 21. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll just tell you, I got several key things wrong in 2020. And one of them was, oh, it was Belichick, not Brady. And the fact that the Patriots didn't do well and Tom Brady won the Super Bowl was kind of a a big dunk on my personal face. Um, You know, I I don't I don't know long term if that's actually true. But boy, I'm taking the L on that one. Yeah, I actually maintain that Belichick did a great job with a rotten hand. He did. He did. He's a fantastic coach. I mean, there's there's no doubt about that. But I think that I definitely thought Brady would not succeed. I'm like, dude, this guy's like 42 years old. He's out of the Belichick system. You know, he's going to this team that has a lot of talent. But like Brady outside of Belichick at 42, I just don't see it. And uh, that that cost me. It really did. I was all for the breakup. I thought Brady could not succeed anymore without significant help. The Patriots don't have skill talent. I mean, Nikhil Harry in a year where every rookie receiver seemed like he was great, except for the two who went in the first round, you know, because not everything has has worked out for uh, Hollywood Brown either. Although he's had moments, the Ravens, I struggle with the Ravens, man. There's they're always going to be a unicorn team with Lamar Jackson. He's so talented, but you need to be a little bit more consistent throwing the ball. I don't think receivers want to go there. I, I mean, I struggle with that team. Anyway, I thought the breakup made sense because Brady needed to be better supported on the outside and Belichick needed a new plan. He needed somebody he could win with for the next five or 10 years. Of course, that's not Cam Newton. I think we know, but they'll probably draft a quarterback. Uh, Do you have before I I give you run of the board again, New England is I see their nine and a half. It's it's actually the juices on the under minus 115. Buffalo's only ten and a half. I think when we get done with the show, you do have to lay minus 120 at that over at BetMGM. I think Buffalo is going to be one of my early punches. I, I don't see what has gone wrong with this team. I think they're going to be able to add some pieces. And Miami, I still don't know if two is good. I know they've supported him pretty well. They brought in Fuller. They may bring in another receiver. Uh, the Jets are going to take some time to fix that mess. And, and then the Patriots, I, look at that skill talent and tell me how they're going to beat teams. I think Buffalo's underserved at 10.5. Do you see anything with those teams? Yeah, 100%. I would say Buffalo's underserved at 10.5. They're, they're another one that I've actually bet them already. Okay. Um, yeah, it's just... That team is just good, and they are surprisingly well coached. And Josh Allen, I mean, when when you make the significant strides, I mean, you know, I was wrong about the Stefan Diggs thing too. Well, I mean, just I, I think I got three main things wrong last year, and one of them was players going to new teams. Um, I DeAndre Hopkins, as Hopkins, well. sure. 
I was like, oh, they, they're, they're not playing together as much. Uh, you know, COVID's really messing with training camp, this and that. I just thought it would be a tough scene all around. And the reality is this talent wins out. Diggs helped elevate Allen, and Allen helped elevate Diggs. And that connection right now, that's one of the most elite connections in football. And there's no reason why it won't continue to be. I mean, that team, they, they do everything really well. And that defense is really, really solid. Their safety play is good. Their linebacker play is good. Like that team is, is solid as hell. And I, I agree with you. I, I'm not making any bets on Miami because I don't know if two is good. I, I have no idea. It's, it's probably too early to say, uh, I think people are down on him because he looked pretty bad last year. He, you know, he, there are times he looked like a right-handed person throwing left-handed and you're like, dude, this, this guy has no heat on his fastball. You know, what is this? It, it looks like Jamie Moyer out there. Um, but the guy's coming back from like major hip surgery, uh, in his first taste of the NFL. I think it's a little too early to write him off while acknowledging like he might not be the guy. So, so I guess we'll see, but I, I don't want to bet on Miami. I just think the the bills far and away clearly are the best team in that division. And I don't think there's any reason to think that they won't continue to be this year. You know, for a team that's the clear divisional favorite 10 and a half in the 17 game season, that doesn't seem like much of an ask to me. No, not at all. Not at all. So those are kind of it. I I like over Chargers. I like over Bills. I like under Houston. Uh, I like over Washington. We talked about that one. I'd say the last one is uh, that I like an over on is Minnesota. And, you know, it's just that thing where I think Kirk Cousins is perennially undervalued. He's a polarizing guy, but the guy is legitimately good. While again, not being like the top of the elite NFL quarterbacks, he's just solid. And again, I like continuity. That team has a ton of continuity in their coaching staff. And I think they have a lot of talent on defense. Their defense didn't play well last year. And I think the acknowledgement from the coaching staff about that is really key, right? That's a team that said, this is not a good defense. We need to make some changes. And that's when I, my ears start perking up because so many NFL teams, poker players, every, you see it everywhere. Until you acknowledge that you're imperfect and that you have things to work on, you'll never get better at them, right? So many teams and people have so much ego. Like, no, I'm always right. No, this is my point. You know, Adam Gase, like, no, our our game plan is right. It's the execution that's wrong. Nah, dude, look in the mirror. Like the only way you get better is by acknowledging this. I think the fact that Minnesota has acknowledged it and that coaching staff, uh, all of them are are so good on the defensive end. If that offense um, or if that defense like takes a step up, the offense is fantastic. Kirk Cousins is solid, right? You got Jefferson, you got Thielen, you got Irv Smith, who's got a lot of talent. You got Dalvin Cook. That's a really good offense. If that defense is even above average, that 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 team's kind of a beast. Yeah, the plexiglass principle, right? I mean, anything on defense that's that's unbelievably great will probably fall off a little bit, hurt the WFT a little bit, maybe your Steelers. Minnesota, I dare them to have a defense that bad again with a good defensive coach. And some decent infrastructure. Uh, they are nine right now. Is there over under at BetMGM minus one fifteen on the juice? I, I means, found it at eight and a half. Did you find uh, eight and a half? Okay, of course. You yeah. know, you, you want to shop around. I think this is a winning team next year. Does that mean nine and eight? Does that mean ten and seven? And look at the division. Right, you got to think they're better than Chicago and Detroit until it's proven demonstrably that those. You know, I I don't think much of those teams. You know, Green Bay has kind of outkicked their coverage the last two years. They're they're a fascinating team because. There's always there's always an argument on Twitter about Green Bay about oh those idiots why don't they draft receivers well you know, Rodgers just won the MVP what do they need receivers for you know well we'll just take a, a future quarterback and a running back we really don't need and you know I, but you imagine if they had gotten T Higgins or something like that I think Rodgers would have made some good music with T Higgins that's just me 
Um, and and just, it didn't have to be Higgins. It's a bunch of we've seen so much receiver talent come into the league the last two years. And well, every I mean, team these, is, these are objectively terrible decisions. And then they go ahead and right. pay Aaron Jones. It's like, OK, why? Why did we why did we bother doing all? But in spite of all of it, Aaron Rodgers, that's the greatness of him. And I hope I, I really hope he wins a second Super Bowl because at some point, you know, people look back. They say, God, this guy was supposed to be the best quarterback in football for a long time. Yeah. He only won one. And two quarterback, two quarterback Super Bowl victories is kind of this like line of demarcation in the sand because a lot of quarterbacks have won one, not very many have won two. I'd like to see Rodgers get two because his greatness. I mean, we in the fantasy community, we'd written him off last year. He was the MVP, like amazing stuff. Nobody, once you win two, it's never an issue anymore. Nobody will ever say, oh, you know, I mean, Peyton Manning, quote unquote, only won two. Although the, I know the second one was the weekend at Bernie's where he had nothing left and the defense just propped him up for uh, you know, a full season, but yeah, whatever. I mean, you, you win two, nobody you, nobody can say, well, it was a fluke. You, you beat Rex Grossman, big deal, blah, 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 blah. No, you won two, that's it. Nobody can, nobody can ever take away that you did it a second time. And you know, it's kind of the knock against Breeze, right? Never, well, he only went to that one Super Bowl, which is mind-blowing to me, you know, how many good teams they had. Uh, Dan Marino, right? That After that first monster season, we would have thought he was going to five or six more Super Bowls. He never went back which is mind-blowing to me for a guy who's always in the playoffs and usually won at least one game. So he was in, a, in the deep playoffs several times and never got there. But I mean, then you have guys like Warren Moon, never played in a championship game, let alone Rodgers. I mean, honestly, Rodgers was very close to not winning any. I mean, he was so great in that, I think it was the 09, I want to say, or 2010 Super Bowl against the Steelers. There was a deep bomb. They started off 14-0 and were putting it on Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh roared back. And there was a point when Roethlisberger had Mike Wallace open for a deep bomb touchdown and he missed him. And I think that would have given him the lead and it would have changed the entire pace of the game, the entire spot of the game. And he missed him by a foot. It was, it was kind of like the, the throw two years ago uh, where uh, Jimmy G missed, uh, I think it was Emmanuel Sanders deep that would have changed probably the course of the Super Bowl. But those little inches, those little edges, uh, so, so close. Rodgers threw a pass in that Super Bowl, a key uh, third down, I think, to Jennings over the middle that went, I think it might have tipped off Paul Malu's hand. I mean, it was that close, and it was a key conversion to, like, you know, keep the ball away. I mean, just these little edges, it's crazy to think over the course of careers, Super Bowls are won and lost by such small margins and and how the course of, like, people's legacies are defined by that. Yeah, I'm a Patriots fan, and, and nobody non-Patriots is going to wish any more success on that team, but... Uh, the pass that Brady threw just to eyelash behind Wes Welker. Welker, oh, man. Welker, who dropped a lot of passes for a guy who, quote unquote, never drops passes, but you know, just a little bit behind him. He got wrong footed, kind of, but he should have caught it. The game's over it. if that happens. Game's over. Yeah. Think, think of how many plays the Falcons could have made to salt away their Super Bowl if they had done just I, I think one I more. It was, it, was roughly, it was roughly 118 different plays. It felt like it, right? Yeah. Talk about winning all the coin flips, right? I mean, they, the Patriots were down to a chip and a chair, and then they just won every coin flip the rest of the game. And I also think it also speaks to how the conditioning of that team, for the end of the game, the, the Falcons' defense was sucking wind in part because the Patriots ran so many plays. But I think everybody thought when New England got the ball in that game, well, Atlanta can't stop them. They're going to go right down the field and score. I, I think I think did. Atlanta thought that too. Yeah, I think I think Atlanta thought that too. Sammy, again, I, I have you on here because you're sharp, because you, you think like a poker player. I'm curious when it comes to football, you know, we're fantasy players. We're, we're talking about seasonal totals. Uh, we talk, we do best ball drafts to get ready for the the seasonal draft season. We do seasonal leagues. We, we play DFS. We, we can bet on player props. Now we can obviously, of course, bet against the spread or bet against totals during the season. Where, where's the money at? Where have you 
kept records or do you have a sense of this is a soft market. I can get this market. Maybe this market's too sharp. I don't want to put my money in here. I'm just curious, where are you investing? Where do you think you can have an edge in 21? Uh, for me personally, what I found is it's DFS. You know, sports betting has obviously increased over the last couple of years as the legality of it has changed, et cetera, et cetera. But those lines, I mean, unless you're a guy that like has your own kind of algorithm and at the beginning of the week, you can spot inefficiencies and things like that, there's certainly an edge there. Uh, but long term, those lines are really, really, really sharp. And it's tough to make significant edge. So like for most people, is it fun to put some money on here and there? Sure. But are you actually going to make legitimate coin over the course of a season? Uh, not unless you are like a professional and and really on top of things. And I don't think it's seasonal either. Uh, you know, we seasonal fantasy football is so fun. It's so fun. It's probably like the most exciting seasonal sport. But I think we all know that the quote unquote best seasonal fantasy football team doesn't win all that often, right? It's just who got hot in the last couple of weeks and, you know, who of the teams that made it in there and, you know, injuries play such a key role, et cetera, et cetera. And I think the other thing for players that play like high stakes, like NNFC, stuff like that is, you know, say you want to like put a couple thousand on fantasy for the year, that couple thousand dollars is tied up for six months right? You don't have access to it. You're paying a pretty large rake to play and then very high variance, the nature of seasonal fantasy football. Um, and your money's tied up for six months when it could be in something really cool, like uh, like Bitcoin or something like that for six months instead. Um, whatever it is, whatever you're into. So for me, what I found is I really enjoy seasonal fantasy baseball the most and I enjoy DFS football the most because I think DFS, DFS is kind of the purest form of fantasy football because your first your first pick can't tear his ACL and then your whole season is screwed, right? And I, I just think very much like there's information changes so quickly in football. Roles change, all these things. And as much as we like to think we're good at predicting, we're not really. Unforeseen things happen all the time that you can't predict in a fantasy football draft. But in DFS, every week you can constantly adapt to new information. And it's really a race to see who would, who's adapting the best? Who's figuring out the pace of the season and the things that are important in this season the best from one week to the next? And I, I really think that there's still an edge there. And the other thing is, yes, there's projections in fantasy football, uh, DFS football. And yes, the projection systems will, you know, have a big influence. But I think it's a bigger influence in fantasy baseball. I, I, I make a joke on, on the Gilcast pod for Roto-Grinders, but our big joke is it's a little bit more of an art. We have a buddy named Nate who's very like projection driven and this and that. But football continues to be more of an art. There's, it's not just numbers. I mean, reading between the lines and figuring out trends and things like that before they happen continues to be key. And I think in DFS, there will always be an edge in that regard. And so that that's kind of like when, when I'm putting my money down, that that's what I like to do with it is, is play DFS. I love the way you frame that. And again, shout out to Leviton, Evan Leviton over at um, Establish the Run. He he's an artist, you know. I mean, he understands the importance of projections, but again, it's that reading between the lines and trying to get information that way. And I'm always going to want some some art with my science, you know. I mean, we both play fantasy baseball. Baseball is the purest statistical sport because it's just a game of one on one interactions and a million of them, yeah. right? I mean, when when Abreu hits a home run, no, nobody's helped him out. I mean, yeah, maybe the batting coach helped work on his swing or whatever. Maybe some video helped, but when he swings the bat and hits the ball 420 feet, that's him. 
you know, um, that number, by the way, totally arbitrarily jumped out at me. I, I don't know why I didn't say 450 or whatever, but completely <laughs> by accident. But before we get down too much of a rabbit hole, I want to say one, do one more thing quickly, and then we'll give, put a cherry on the top of this episode and get out of here. Really quick. I don't want a deep answer, but just a, a off the top of the pile answer. For years, I just ignored rookies. I said, you in seasonal, you draft them, you know, go ahead. Uh, you know, for every you every once in a while, a 2014 receiver class hit, and it was awesome. But for the most part, fading rookies has been good to me. The last few years, uh, rookies are starting to college pro. The games are starting to get closer together. We're seeing, you know, Jefferson last year, another guy. I don't to say I didn't like him, but people drafted him much more proactively than I was willing to. And, of course, they danced for about four months. Another reason why DFS is great, I only have to be wrong once on Jefferson before I can get back in. Right. But if you don't get him in seasonal, you're out the whole season, and that is not fun. Really uh, exciting group of rookies coming in. We're going to see a lot of quarterbacks get drafted. Kyle Pitts is talked about as one of the most all-time great tight ends. And rookie tight ends, that's been the last position where people kind of hands off on rookies. Like, okay, I'll take a receiver. Maybe the quarterbacks can splash. We know the running backs of the last year. It was a delayed effect. They're generally good first-year players. I think people were generally cool to tight ends, but people say, no, Kyle Pitts is different. You, you're going to want this guy right away. Just when I say rookies and fantasy football, their first year of relevance, what comes to mind for you? Uh, I think it is, for a long time, we thought that running backs had an easy transition to the NFL. You could draft them as rookies, first round, second round, whatever. And But the quarterbacks... And the tight ends and the receivers, they take a while to get acclimated. And for many years, this was true. And last year, it wasn't. Um, and, and I think we're seeing an overall trend. The games are starting to become more similar. The pro game is starting to incorporate so many concepts from college. You know, whether it's the RPOs or, you know, the spread offenses or, you know, uh, athletic quarterbacks playing more of a role and, and having, you know, running roles that, that are really defined. And I think that makes the transition less hard for college players, specifically the best college players, right? The NFL for quarterbacks used to be just, oh, you know, seven-step drop, five-step drop. You have to learn this rhythm stuff, where is it, college, it, it seems so much like a, you know, a street game. And these, they're starting to become more similar, and I think that makes the transition easier. And I don't think this is a one-year blip. I think that we need to start accepting that rookies are going to be able to make an impact earlier and change our mind frame. It's one thing that I got wrong last year too. I was like, Oh, no training camp, you know, they're rookie receivers. I was out and I was wrong. And you want to always look back and say, okay, was my process wrong or was it just like a one-off? Should I not overreact to this? But I really think that the fact that the pro game is starting to incorporate so many college concepts makes it easier for them to, to come in and be able to do things that they're already used to doing. I, I think really points toward rookies being consistently able to, to make an impact earlier very well said by my friend sammy reed uh, you can follow him at sammy reed fl on twitter he, he's always just given out good common sense i always say common sense is the most important fantasy skill there is and sammy reed brings common sense in abundance here is our closing segment it's gonna be super quick here i want two or three minutes at the most we used to do drafts at the end of my fantasy baseball podcast they were really fun sammy we are going to draft famous sammy's you are not eligible we know you would go first, 1.101 overall. So uh, one-sentence explanations. We're not going to go off and, and tell everybody a book or a miniseries here. We're just going to give our pick, give a sentence, and move on. Sammy draft. I'm not even sure if this is going to stick on the episode, but we'll, we'll always know this, this draft existed and that I dominated you in it. So I'm going to pick first because I cheat, and I'm going to take Sam Malone because he was the best bartender of all time. With all due respect to Isaac Washington, I'm going with Sam Malone, first round of our Sammy draft. 
Well, cheers to that, Scott. Uh, my first round pick will be Sammy Davis Jr., the king of cool. Great pick. Uh, very high on my board. Could do it. You know, could sing, could dance, could just be cool with the Rat Pack. Uh, one of the all-time great Sammys. I'm going to go Sammy Hagar. Uh, even though I do prefer the Dave Lee Roth version of Van Halen, Sammy Hagar's just a cool dude. Great voice. Um, and and just, there's just a certain, I don't know, positivity to him, a certain joie de vivre to him that I've, I've always responded to. So, um, and I can't drive 55 either. So Sammy Hagar is my second pick. He was actually my, my alternate pick in, in, if you didn't, and, and I was going to ask you, are, are you a him or David Lee Roth guy? So I'm glad we got that answer. Uh, my second round pick is going to be Sammy Sosa. I mean, you know, you can say what you want. He got a little weird at the end and, you know, the steroids, et cetera. But that summer of 98, man, it was magical. It was magical. It made us all fall in love with baseball again. And I will never forget it. It was, it was an amazing time for me. It was an amazing race between him and McGuire. I will always love him uh, for that. And even though McGuire hit the 70, it was actually Sammy Sosa, who was the 1998 NL MVP. And, and what was better than the hop after he crushed one and just hop, do that just moment of joy? I don't think he ever planned on doing it. It's just I'm so excited. I'm jumping up and down now. And it's we need that. Baseball needs more. That's why Tim Anderson's like probably my favorite baseball player right now, because when he does something great, he's excited about it. And what's wrong with that? Exuberance. Um, exuberance yeah, yeah. like with having genuine fun, exuberance every remember laughter uh third round i'll get to sam elliott um just that classic voice you know he does a lot of voiceover work he's part of roadhouse although he, he's not used a lot in roadhouse um there's just something cool about about sam elliott whether the way he looks the way he sounds he's just one of those guys who's timeless well speaking of cool uh my third round pick is going to be uh samuel jackson and uh, as, as Tarantino guys, I mean, his favorite work of mine is, you know, Pulp Fiction and Django and Jackie Brown. Um, just love him in those films with so many other movies that he loves. He's just he's just timeless. He's in so many different things. Everybody knows him. I mean, he's just he's one of my favorite actors. I love the guy, Samuel L. I don't think I'm capable. I, I, I need space from from uh, Pulp Fiction. You know, I think Pulp Fiction is probably the best movie I've ever seen. Not my favorite, but it's the best movie I've ever seen. I need a little bit of space from Pulp Fiction. Before I see it an additional time, I will watch Jackie Brown anytime. It's, it's a pox. I'm going to bed. I'm tired. It's one fifty in the morning. Oh, Jackie Brown's on. I got nothing to do Pulp for the next three hours. I, I guess I'm in. It's it's a little heavy. It's not as rewatchable because it's a little I don't know heavier to get through. I don't know if I'm describing it right. Long movie, man. I mean, Tarantino yeah. doesn't make short movies, and his editor died a few years ago, so they're not going to get any shorter. But anyway, before this turns into a Tarantino draft, I should move us along. Jackson's a great pick in the third round and a really. Good value. Sam Cooke. I love classic music. Um, you know, he's kind of the backdrop to the Animal House guys. Uh, shout out to Michael Beller, who got married and said he just wanted his reception and just listen to Sam Cooke all night. Uh, Sam Cooke, one of the coolest cats in music of all time. All right. My uh, my fourth round pick is Sammy Baugh of the former Sammy. Washington Redskins. I thought we'd bring this back. Uh, you know, it's a football and uh, and the Washington team. Two-time NFL champion. 17 first-team All-Pro two-time NFL player of the year. He was on both the 75th and 100th anniversary all-time teams of the NFL, Sammy Baugh. Was also a really good punter, I believe, too. Out of the mold of Tom Tupa. Never forget that Tom Tupa scored the first two-pointer in NFL history. It was a fake extra point. Tupa ran it in. We love those quarterback punters. I guess Baugh was a little bit more notable as a quarterback. Let's give it to him for that. Give it up for Sammy Baugh in the fourth round. My final pick, man, a lot of guys I could go with. I'm going to go with Sam Smith, who wrote the Jordan Rules, which is I think one of the 10 most important sports books of all time. I'm not going to say it's, it's a ball four necessarily, but 
you should read the reread the Jordan rules or read for the first time the Jordan rules every few years. And uh, that was Sam Smith's biggest splash, but he's been a, a very respected sports journalist for a long time. So uh, Sam Smith, here's a kiss. I chose you to end my list. I love it. I love it. My final one, uh, hearkening back to my Italian heritage, is Sammy DeBull, the oh, underboss. Sure, yeah, the underboss the, of the uh, of the Gambino crime family and uh, a true American gangster. Shout out Sammy DeBull. It was, uh, wanna... I, I like that because that was my nickname on the sports teams I used to play on. They right, called me right. Sammy okay. DeBull, and I, I was like, it. who's that? So I always well, thought he was cool. You want sharp takes. You bring out the original gangster that is Sammy Reed. He's been our guest today. Oh, uh, regrets to Sam Adams and Samuel Adams, uh, Sam the Butcher from Brady Bunch. It's kind of the worst character, but um, I, I watched Brady Bunch as a kid. I don't, I don't know why, because the show was pretty terrible, but there's something about the awfulness that that appealed to me. Uh, tell us on social. Um, I'm Scott underscore Pianowski. He is Sammy Reed FL. Tell us what we missed. Who would you have picked in a Sammy draft? Uh, Mr. Reed, tell us what you're doing, how we can keep up with you and what's going on in your world. You know, mostly uh, I continue to do the Gilcast on Roto Grinders, and that's during football season. And you can catch me on Twitter. Obviously, uh, you, you said my handle, but I, I will tell you, Scott. The more and more as time has gone on, you know, I I'm trying to I'm trying to be a player. You know what I mean? Um, and let those results speak for themselves. So I've actually found myself doing less content and trying to focus more on the games and focus more on the teams and and really trying to go ahead and smash out there. So uh, wish me luck. Uh, definitely not that you need it but i will wish you luck uh, just in a second because we're just about out of time how's your poker game these days it is sharp my friend i think the sharp? online I feel, I feel like warm here how's your game is your game sharp you, you, the game sharp i've you know i've played over a hundred thousand hands online since the pandemic started and i think that that is gonna i mean going through that many reps and learning that much i think when live poker comes back i just think sharpens the sword in a way that a lot of live players haven't been while you know things have been shut down so i'm hoping that that leads to a bigger edge if you guys did enjoy this conversation, I want you to know that when we, when we were on the baseball podcast a couple of years ago, we talked a bunch about poker. And if you want to listen to Sammy, get a sense of what his poker thoughts are and how we feel about the movie Rounders. I think that pocket won an FSWA award, which I always say belongs to Sammy as much as it does to me. If that is of any interest to you, I think that's an evergreen show, whatever. You'll have to skip over some of our baseball takes that are pertaining to the moment. But I think that show would actually hold up a couple of years later. So I will give a little hit for that. If you do like podcasts, we have a bunch of them over at Yahoo. The Yahoo Sports College podcast, Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel, and our old friend Pat Forty. They're running a three-man weave, and they've just been outstanding all season. They recently did a fantastic episode revealing the seventh annual All-Juice team, which was in honor of our recently departed friend, Therese Paler, who tragically died a couple months ago. Uh, we're keeping his memory alive. Man, Therese was just the man, and it's so cool that they did this. Um, Props to all those guys. Eric Edholm has been involved with some Therese stuff, too. I want to give a shout-out to Eric, who's done doing awesome NFL draft coverage. So anyway, the Yahoo Sports College podcast, those guys are great. If you're into the NBA, post it up with Chris Haynes. Get to your fix. Uh, outstanding show. There's always great storylines in the NBA, so you want to check that out. On Twitter, of course, Yahoo Fantasy is our main handle. I'm Scott underscore Pianowski. We mentioned Sammy Reed FL. That's R-E-I-D. Liz and Eric will be back later in the week to talk more about rookies. Get to know those rookies more than ever in 2021 NFL. For Sammy Reed, the sharp man. What a blast this was. We easily could have done a couple hours if they had time for it. Thanks so much for joining us, Sammy. For producer Brett, keeping us on the air and sounding great. I am P&L. Straight cash, homie. We're out. <laughs>